Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the text to pastor line at 678-951-9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. I am joined today by Shannon Smith, my uh, amazing assistant. This is just so much for our church. And also the greatest summer worship intern of all time, guys. <laughs> in the history books, in the annals of worship intern history, <laughs> somebody will write their dissertation on this uh, summer, and yeah. uh, it's the internship of Will Carlisle. Wow. I'm honored. You excited about going to college? You know. I'm not excited. We're all going to miss you, We don't want to lose I'm, you. I'm, I'm excited, but sad. Quit but college, sad. man. You don't need college. You Just stay ask. here. All right. All right. Well, Will, you're looking good today. Uh, guys, I know this is an audio recording, but Will is famous for the windbreakers. And today... And the golf shirts. He has mm. a uh, Buffalo Bills windbreaker, which uh, just looks amazing. Thank you. They never won that Super Bowl. They went to four straight. Can you, can we you almost it? had them. <laughs> oh, man. Jim Kelly, man. He still hates it. But yesterday, we talked about Ephesians 5, 18 through 33 in our Great Marriage series. It was the second of four series or four sermons on marriage. Um, any initial thoughts, guys? Well, I love um, I love that passage, and a lot of us are familiar with it, The whole, especially the, the marriage uh, section. Uh, that you focused on, but what I really liked is how you opened up uh, the sermon focusing on Ephesians 5.1, and it says, be imitators of God. In fact, you quoted William Barclay. He said it was the highest standard in the world. So that's how this passage starts out, but then when you read the section on marriage within that chapter, there are just so many examples of uh, ways we can imitate God um, just within our marriage, just how our marriages can honor God, glorify God, you know, the whole, the roles of marriage, just like the roles in the Trinity. And I liked how you kind of started the sermon with that. Um, Yeah, because we kind of pull marriage passages out and talk mm -hmm. about marriage as an individual thing, which is certainly not wrong to do, we kind of forget I think, and the reason we started there, like what this whole conversation is rooted in. Right. And if this is just like good Bible tips on marriage, then, um, you know, some of the things in the passages maybe doesn't make sense. But if it is all part of means by which or ways by which you will imitate God, uh, then you see like marriage itself is kind of a big imitation of God. I mean, marriage itself, as we said yesterday, uh, kind of the structure of marriage rooted in the Trinity. Mm -hmm. it, it imitates the ontology of God. And as we said yesterday, uh, the activity of marriage, husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, wives submitting and honoring their husbands. It, it actually mirrors the gospel. It actually mirrors Christ in his relationship with the church. So you can see like even in this, oh, like we're imitating God as we're married in a way that is faithful to the Lord's work. Mm -hmm. so, thought, uh, any thoughts you had, Will? Yeah, I I loved, um, I guess, kind of framing marriage as a living parable, um, kind of like you talked about, and um, the language of, like, marriage is a mystery of, like, it's kind of part of this, like, 
revelation and this like telling of what's happening behind the scenes and especially um, addressing single people and talking about, you know, part of, you know, in marriage displaying God's love. One of the hallmarks of God's love for us is that it's, you know, despite right, any yeah. merit of our own. And so talking about, you know, we're not called to like look for people who are worthy of marital love because in being a parable, a parable of Christ's love, it is like by nature, you know, unconditional and surpassing right, merit. Yeah. So it's covenantal, as we say, mm -hmm. it's not utilitarian. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And so if you're just looking for a good deal mm -hmm. in marriage, a good exchange, um, then you'll always end up disappointed. I, I, I do think that a lot of people, you know, go into marriage with that mentality of, okay, I'm going to find a girl that's like really great looking and she's really easy to hang out with and she's really fun. And then I'll be happy. I'm going to get these products from her mm -hmm. or gals go into marriage saying, you know, I'm going to find a guy that's good looking and wealthy and he's going to take good care of me. And again, I, you know, I don't necessarily think it's wrong to think about those things, but those aren't the foundation of marriage. Those aren't mm -hmm. the bedrock of marriage. Um, those, uh, you know, are byproducts of marriage, but ultimately if your marriage is not built on a desire to see God glorified in your life and in your marriage, um, there's, there's no girl out there. There's no guy out there that's worthy of what Christ is calling you to yeah. in marriage. Right. So. You know, in this passage, it talks so much about submission and a, and a lot of people, you know, have a hard time, especially people who are not Christians and even people who are. And I do love how you talked about this. And I've also heard, um, other pastors and theologians about, you know, submission and, you know, the son submitted to the father. Yeah. He was equally God, yet he submitted to the father. So, you know, that's my submitting to my husband is kind of, a, I guess, a, a way to imitate uh, Christ in that. Well, it's easy for me to submit to my husband. I'm married to an awesome Who wouldn't want man. to submit yeah, to who Brad? Who would not want to? <laughs> Um, and I know, you know, how he loves me and wants the best for me. So, I mean, I don't think I've ever had a day where it was actually difficult, but I have to believe that that's not the case for most, not, I shouldn't say most, for a lot of people. So are there instances, you know, you know, that we're called to submit, but are there instances when a wife, I mean, some things could be common sense, but I mean, maybe you could speak to this a little more when a wife shouldn't submit. So that's a really good question. So the command for a, a woman to submit is not um, dependent upon her husband being a, you know, Brad Smith kind of guy, right? <laughs> I, I mean, and, and neither is uh, the command of a husband to love your wife as Christ loved the church dependent upon your wife being easy to love or your wife, you know, being, like I said, even like worthy of that kind of love, right? So these are commands that are given to husbands and wives independent of one another. However, with that being said, uh, you know, there are times when, you know, for example, if your husband is asking you to do something sinful, right. you, you don't submit to that request, right? Because mm -hmm. your greater, your higher loyalty is to the Lord. Um, you know, if your husband is doing something that is abusive and is, is wrong, um, again, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons that we're not as Christians just called into families. We're also called into a church. So mm. there should be other fathers around. So if he, if he's doing something sinful, he's asking you to do something sinful, he's, if he's doing something that's egregiously sinful against you, then, you know, I think that's a time I would say to women, go to your elders, go seek some help, get, you know, away from the situation. 
um, and you know seek protection in that uh, in that scenario. Uh, and and I would even say to a woman um, whose husband ha- who whose husband has a, a repetitive sin pattern mm-hmm. that's just very difficult to live with, and he's claiming the name of Christ and he's not showing any sort of repentance. Well, then I, again, I think that's where like a Matthew eighteen. In fact, I, you know, situation comes into to play. I don't think it's inappropriate for a woman to go to her pastor and for then maybe her and her pastor to approach the husband with a repetitive sin habit that he may have or a sin pattern that he has that he is not repenting of. So these are hard to like draw hard and fast rules on, but mm-hmm. I think there there's some of the areas where God gives the church collectively some wisdom on how to deal with them. Okay. Um, one question I had is, like in this passage, especially in verse 21 of Ephesians 5, Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, I've heard a lot of people in teaching, especially, I feel like it's growing in popularity, the idea of like mutual submission in marriage. Um, and so basically that yes, like wives should submit to husbands, but also husbands should submit to wives. And Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that same teaching and if you're just reading verse 21 in isolation, mm-hmm. I can see where you'd come up with that, right? Because, you know, it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So people say, well, it's mutual submission. One submits to one, one submits to the other. Um, well, first of all, like that idea functionally is doesn't work. I mean, that 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 isn't the idea of submission. Now, mm-hmm. of course, husbands and wives are kind to one another mm-hmm. they're uh they listen to one another they're patient with one another right so you know in nowhere does this imply i mean again the very the, the command to husbands is to love your wives as christ loved the church so nowhere and i talked about this a little bit yesterday nowhere should we characterize the the christian understanding of the structure of marriage mm-hmm. as this like domineering husband that's pushing his wife around so yes there, there's a posture of humility involved in his leadership but it, structurally at least clearly in this passage as the the very next few verses say the husband is the head of the wife yeah. um and so that again that interpretation and one of the reasons shannon as we did yesterday i went back to the very beginning of ephesians 5 and kind of walked through the outline it doesn't take into account uh the rest of the passages mm-hmm. the rest of the passage it, because right after that what is it so husbands and wives okay well you know maybe in an egalitarian world there's some confusion about that but then the next example that paul gives is children and parents right yeah so you know none of those same preachers would argue that you should be mutually submissive with your children like what <laughs> right. if i was mutually submissive <laughs> to john kellis or rainer yeah i mean yeah. That would be insane, right? I would be arrested. I would be in jail, right? Because we would do crazy stuff. And like I would have eaten like millions of calories of like donuts, right? And so like at some point, like yeah. we understand, okay, there, there's order that God has put in place. And then of course the next illustration that is given is is bond servants and masters. And so yeah. there's it's clear what Paul is trying to say. And those interpretations, if you've heard a preacher say that, are easily you know there's some there's some texts in scripture where uh you know don carson wrote this book called exegetical fallacies like sometimes like there's it's hard to find exegetical Mm -hmm. fallacies that one's easy that one just like just read the next verse right so 
That's good. Okay, I speaking of slavery and then also um, alcohol to to different topics, but um, could be explosive. Depending on where you grew up or, or whatever. Yeah, I, I promised uh, yeah, that would bring yeah. these up. And you promised you would bring them up. So, um, it's, Shannon I d- holding me to I'm account. I'm holding you to it. I actually um, grew up in a, a church where um, any form of alcohol, drinking, any kind of, whether, you know, any kind. So, uh, and I, you, you, you made a little comment yesterday in the sermon, and I, I would love for you to expound on that. And then also you said you'd come back and talk to us about the passage about bond servants and so yeah, just I mean a couple of quick thoughts, and we could talk about this for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, you mentioned the church you grew up in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in a very similar church. It's it's interesting. There was a guy named John Brown in the 1840s that wrote a church covenant that made it through a lot of different. I think churches. we had that hanging. You on had that yeah. same uh-huh. church covenant, right? Yeah. And it said. Uh, we will abstain from mm-hmm. the sale and use of alcoholic drinks as a beverage, and uh, and so that became a lot a, a part of a lot of churches. In fact, you know, I would even say like if you, you know, probably most of you grew up, your church may not have followed that covenant, but but most of you, especially if you grew up in like a Baptist tradition, that was the that was the covenant that yeah. your church likely had. Um, now you got to understand like the context of that. Um, uh, Industrial Revolution was going on. John Brown wrote that in the, the North. Obviously, it trickled down to the South. But kind of the, the, the context of that and the feel of that, the Industrial Revolution is going on. For the first time ever, uh, men are leaving the house. Like it, 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 pre-Industrial Revolution, the family was together all the time, working on the farm. Wife was inside. Husband and the kids were outside. Her husband and the sons were outside working on the farm. All of a sudden now, you have husbands leaving uh, not on the farm, leaving the farm, going into the factory. And another thing that you had that was that was had never happened before. Again, you have to understand in context of history, people were getting weekly paychecks. Okay, it used to be you That's you true. know you would yeah. go to the market and yeah. you would get a great yield or you would hmm. trade. And so now all of a sudden, guys had weekly cash coming into their hmm. pockets. And after these really really hard um, industrial jobs, what would they do? They'd go to the bar. And they'd get a couple of drinks, and a couple of drinks led to more drinks, and then that led to drunkenness. And um, and they would go, and they would sleep with prostitutes, and they, I mean, they're doing all sorts of things. And they were coming home, and they had nothing to show for their work week. And so women, in large number, throughout the 19th century, mm-hmm. started going to who do you, else do you go to? We kind of just talked about this, right? Their, their husbands are sinning, so they yeah. go to their pastors, which they should have done. And their pastors are trying to confront this issue, and of course, the pastor is saying, well. We've got to get rid of this. Now, I always want to say, biblically, obviously our Lord drank wine. He wasn't getting drunk. We see prohibition against drunkenness, but our Lord drank wine. There's mm-hmm. a way to, to drink alcohol in a way that is not sinful, in a, that, in a way that I think in some cases really pleases the Lord. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. something you have to be very, very careful with. And I would just say, I want to be very clear on this podcast. Um, you know, We recognize that alcohol can be a great vice, and if you struggled with alcoholism in any way, my advice to you would be just leave it alone. It's not a necessary thing. You don't need it. Yeah. Um, but can you talk about, you just said, some drink, there are ways that you can participate in that that would please the Lord. So what would be? Give yeah, me I mean, and I, I mean, I think that if you want to enjoy a drink with friends, if you, if you know, you're, you're celebrating something, to have a few drinks where it's not leading to drunkenness, where it's not leading to you losing control of yourself, um, then I think that is acceptable. Um, again, I think that, for example, Jesus turned water into wine at a, a wedding. I think that was a, an appropriate thing to do. Mm-hmm. It was a celebration, and people were uh, celebrating at that 
uh, wedding. But a lot of the theology, I'm going to go back to the, the 19th century, a lot of the theology that existed probably in a lot of churches that um, you know you and I are familiar with really developed in that. And, and actually, I would, I would, it, it would be akin to what's going on kind of right now in the church where pastors are creating a theology that is welcoming to kind of same-sex relationships within a church. They're, they're doing it with the best intentions, right? These guys were making a theology that prohibited alcohol in order to preach against it, to care for these women, a very pastoral concern, but it just wasn't biblical. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we should always watch out for that. Right. Um, could you talk into, I guess, I think, uh, you know, using alcohol and alcohol leading to sin um, could you talk about, I guess, outside of drunkenness, can alcohol be like, alcohol consumption be sinful? I guess like if it's being used as an escape or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, again, yeah. I think there's, that's a great question. I mean, yes, I mean, I don't think that like drinking alcohol every day is something that's healthy, it's right, it's good for you, it's not good for your mind. Uh, so again, I mean, I think typically like a biblical use of alcohol is something that is is happening in moderation mm. uh, and happening occasionally. I mean, I guess you could argue, like when Paul urges Timothy to have a little alcohol for mm. the stomach, you know, that maybe was something like a small dose every day. But again, this is this is a this is not an escape. Mm. It's an intentional use mm. of alcohol, and I think that's really the key. Um, yeah, but I think that's a great question. Over to slavery. Let's let's, let's like <laughs> let's go to the next hard uh, topic yeah. here. I mean, obviously, this was written in a Roman context mm -hmm. where there was, an, and I think I like the word bond servants. There was a bond servant. People would enter slavery for different reasons. Uh, at times, it was because they were they were broke, and that was basically the means with with, with which you would work yourself out of bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. uh, at times, people would they just had no better prospects, and so they would actually pursue. Um, slavery in particular households. It was much more like employment back then. Again, the ideal then is to own your own house and have your own business or have your own thing. And so the, the way you would be employed in a certain sense um, in those days, uh, oftentimes was through this idea of bond servant or slavery. It was very different than the kind of harsh 19th century, uh, 18th, 17th, 18th, 19th century slavery that, that we are familiar with. Now, I in, am in no way condoning even the first century Roman slavery, right? I mean, it, it, because there, even though there would be a time with which the bond would be up and you'd be set free, there really was this idea of ownership within a household mm -hmm. of another person. So because the Bible, and that's a good point to make, just because the Bible is speaking into something that's happening within culture, Paul's not condoning slavery in this passage. He is saying, okay, if you are in this situation, um, work heartily as unto the Lord, you know, work mm -hmm. in a way that's going to do your work as unto the Lord. And it's a very fascinating idea, even if you don't like the situation you're in, even if the situation that you're in feels a little unjust. I don't think it's saying not to pursue justice or to take action toward justice, but work heartily as unto the Lord um, and not working for the sake of your master, to please your master, but, but to please the Lord. Mm. Um, so yeah, and obviously a lot more could be said on that, but uh, hopefully that's somewhat clarifying. Okay, I'm I, I kind of switching gears, and I've, I'm sorry about this, I just thought about this question. Um, and just looking at, going back to the, the verses, I guess, 22 through the end of the 
uh, the passage through 33. So, you know, it's talking about wives and husbands and, and submission. And I know that, you know, the Bible says all scripture um, is profitable for teaching, for training and all that. Yes. And so just thinking about my, you know, I have four single adult mm-hmm. children. And so when you're preaching on a a passage like this or when they come to that in their you know in their bible reading or whatever just you know any thoughts on reading this as just as a single person oh, there's a lot of single folks out there um you know just any kind of pointers as far as i mean i know it gives them a vision of of yeah. something but still you know um they're coming well, to this and go oh, it's not applicable right now you know yeah maybe no, i mean i do think some of these things speak to masculinity in general and femininity in general now, again, as I said yesterday, I'm trying to make that clear. Um, you know, w- women are not called to submit to all men. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it maybe is more applicable, uh, you know, to the masculine side of things. But, but there are, uh, you know, there are times where all of us, I mean, I think we can all kind of apply, where we all have to learn a posture of submission. Uh, as I said, it could be your work environment. It could be you as a child. And so there's a lot to draw from this. And again, we're anchoring this in the submission of Christ. I think for men, you can look at this and say, okay, you're you're called to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, well, there should be a posture there um, uh, that that I think changes the way that we treat all women, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I I think that, uh, I was talking about this with Graham, and he said that somebody advised him, you know, how you treat your mother is oftentimes indicative of how you're going to treat your wife. Um, and I think there's some truth in that. You know, how do you view women in general, men? How are you treating them? Are you treating them with, uh, with love, with honor, with respect? I think for women, how are you, you treating men? Um, if you're always disrespectful and cutty, you know, uh, I, I hate to hear um, a woman just bash her husband over and over again, but that's mm. so common mm-hmm. and that's disrespectful. And you know, that probably flows from how conversations you're having about men before you were married. So I think right. there's a lot to learn no, that's good. from this yeah. passage, just about kind of the general posture. Right. I also think that there are so many, again, imitation of God and gospel implications mm-hmm. in the passage that you can actually learn a lot about the character of God just by kind of understanding marriage, understanding God's design for marriage. I mean, how gracious is it of God? that from the very beginning of time, he created an institution that would help us to desire the gospel more deeply. Mm. That's an amazing thing to think about. And, um, you know, something that's talked about often, I know we talk about this this here, is, you know, biblical imagery in the Old Testament that, that draws you into the gospel narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, you know, just Moses, for example, being a mediator for the people of Israel, bringing them out of a captivity, bringing them to their true home is such an image for us of Jesus who came and who's brought us out of the captivity of death and of sin and is bringing us and making us right as we are going toward our new home, the new heavens, our true home, the new heavens and the new earth. But marriage even in itself is like that. It's, It's an image that helps us to understand exactly what Jesus and God is up to um, and, uh, and his ultimate mission of, of bringing men and women to himself as sons and daughters. Mm, that's mm. good. Will, you're single. I am. <laughs> so, uh, I know you have a very serious girlfriend, but, uh, I mean, as a single guy, yeah. uh, what were some takeaways you had? Yeah, I think, again, like what I talked about earlier, talking about marriage as like a living parable and display of the gospel, 
was helpful for me because um, I think so often we see churches kind of teach, and this isn't to like bash churches, but I think it's easy even in our own lives to look at this passage and say, okay, I'm a man, so my like number one objective in life is to find a girl who I can like lay my life down for. Like that's what I'm made to do. And then it's easy for a girl to say, all right, my number one objective in life is to find a guy to submit to and be married to and love forever. And that's certainly like a beautiful part of our masculinity or femininity. But, um, you know, I think, you know, Paul is not saying here that the purpose of being a man is to be a husband yeah, or the purpose right. of being a woman is to be a wife. But the instead he's saying like the purpose of marriage is to display the gospel. And, you know, not everyone is called to marriage. And even Paul, like in First Corinthians, a different letter he wrote, like talks about how like he kind of personally like wishes, like loves not being married. Right. And yeah. Wishes mm-hmm. more people weren't married. Yeah. The amazing thing about this, this is Paul giving these yeah, instructions yeah. that are so foundational and he, he was never married. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, you know, so often, and it's kind of like a joke in Christian circles that like the singles ministry at church is like the bachelor show. You <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's yeah. Like, Hopefully not. Yeah. Like who's going to marry? Entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah, entirely. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and so I think it was helpful for me to think through like, you know, I believe I'm called to marriage and, um, you know, but like while I'm not called to marriage, like right now in this season, you know, in, in relation to like, like marriage in relation to me, that is not like the ultimate purpose of humanity, yeah. mm-hmm. but it is like a wonderful tool to display the gospel. And then, you know, just kind of full circle to what I said at the beginning, like it is, you know, we're displaying this mystery that Christ loves us and laid down his life for us and, you know, submitted to the will of the Father, despite, like, we could not have deserved it less. Yeah, that's so right. good. You know, I, I, I mean, I love that. I mean, just in general, like, I think as Christians, we can idolize marriage mm, big time yeah. and make it kind of the purpose of our lives. And all of these passages then just exist to help us to have better and more fulfilling marriages. Yeah. And again, there's a lot of practical wisdom in the Bible that, that actually does do mm-hmm. that. But you're saying what I think Paul and the Holy Spirit wants us to see in here, that the anchor of this whole thing mm-hmm. is to imitate God. Uh, yeah. as beloved children, to, to be like our Father so that our Father in us might be pleased. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's the purpose of your life if you're married. That's the purpose of your life if you're single. That's the purpose of your life if you're somewhere in between. I mean, that that is what God is calling you to. Yeah. And I think that's a great place to end. So Shannon, thanks so much. Thank Will. Will's last week with us, so but he'll be here yes. Sunday. So if you're listening yeah. this week, be sure to come out and uh, say goodbye to Will on Sunday. But for Shannon Smith and Will Carlisle, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.